This is Geek Gab with your host, John, Brian, and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, August 19th, 2017. Today, we are going to be talking about Ryan Reynolds' brand new movie, The Hit Man's Bodyguard. But before we do, uh, John, how's your week? Hey, everybody. It's been a great week. On a personal note, I got a little promotion at work that always feels good. Congratulations. Thanks. Congrats. Absolutely. Uh, it Apparently, they haven't found my Twitter feed yet, so we're good. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, for, the, for those of you who don't know, I work for Evil Globalist Corporation number three. Um, uh, they're number and, three now, eh? <laughs> and... Uh, and the uh, and life in the tech world is really interesting these days. Um, um, I, I I don't want to broach uh, I don't want to broach yeah rule number one so I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I'm I'm so sick of politics. I have to deal with politics way too often, uh, and I just I'm tired of it, man. But, uh, but yeah, work is okay, and uh, I've got the worst, best problem ever at work, uh, which is the Dungeons & Dragons game that I had set up as a after-work thing that anybody who was around could drop by and play, now has seven regular people who show up, and it's the same guys every week. Cool. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how this happens. But uh, it's a good, bad problem to have. That's just a natural process of elimination. Yes. Uh, man, I'm trying. <laughs> so how about you, Brian? How was, how was your week? Oh, it just flew by. Because I've really been uh, putting my nose to the grindstone in terms of my writing and editing output. Um, I decided to shift focus after reading... Um, a, an inspirational yet brutal article by Nick Cole. And it's a, a checklist that you're supposed to self-apply, like actually take the time to sit down with a pencil and paper and kind of do the self-examination about your, your priorities and your work habits and just be ruthlessly honest with yourself to weed out areas where you're, you're dithering or you're being inefficient. So I, I did that and, uh, I'll give you the link because I cross-posted it on my blog. We can put it in the show notes. But the, because of that, I've decided to shift priorities from my editing to uh, getting the fourth and final Soul Cycle book finished. So I've set myself a deadline of uh, November 18th to have the final draft of that done. And uh, we'll see what I can do. That's fantastic. I'm really looking forward to that. Thanks. Um, let me pull up the link real quick. Um, since we're in the near vicinity, um, do you want to uh, talk about the article a little bit more in depth, read the uh, advice and explain why you think it's pertinent? Because I've had some thoughts Absolutely. about it. I read uh, I read your post and I also read Nick's post, so I've had some Good. thoughts about it. 
as everyone should. Is uh, Nick uh, add add some more detail? I just try to give like a little digest version of it. But yeah, we got time. I've got it right in front of me. So just dive right in. Nick writes, "This is how you're getting in the way of you, the writer, and preventing your own success." So I'll, I'll invite our listeners to uh, read along with us here, and just after I tick off a point, I'll give you some time to try to think of an example of how you are doing this. I uh, I want to I want to drop back for just half a sec uh, to the preamble to what you're about to read. Okay. Um, Nick says that there's one thing he can talk with you about today that can revolutionize you as an author. Basically, it's time to get your garbage out of the way and get a whole lot of writing done. Stop trying to be great and start being prolific. By writing more, you'll have a statistically better chance of success. And so um, he says that he got some good advice from Chuck Swindle, and that is the advice that Brian's going to discuss right now. And he's absolutely correct. Um, statistically, every book you release doubles your chance of success. And again, he's echoing friend of the show, Larry Korea. Nick himself, a friend of the show, is like, yeah, just be prolific. You know, that, that's part of Pulp Speed. And these points should help you on your way to writing at Pulp Speed. So here we go. So one, attempting too much at once. So do you take on too many tasks at one time? Um, I've got an interesting also sideline on that. Okay. Um, about five or six years ago, I started choosing what things um, I was going to attempt to learn about. Um, so, for example... I could sit down and take time and try to learn uh, cover design and how to make a really nice cover from artwork. Mm -hmm. But that would take a lot of time and take a lot of effort. Now, I already own the software. I already own Photoshop. But it would take time to learn how to use Photoshop better. And then once I knew how to use Photoshop, it would take even more time and practice to get decent at it to get not crappy at it, and then even more time and more practice to get kind of sort of good at it, then even more time and more practice to get pretty good at it. And then if you wanted to get better than that, you were talking more time and more practice. I have done this with several different areas of my life, and all of them have stood me in good stead. But starting about five or six years ago, I just decided, you know what? I don't have the time in my life to spend on learning this. So I need to find other people who know how to do it and either ask them for help or pay them money to do it because I need to focus on what I want to do. I need to focus on my core competencies and the goals I have and the projects I'm working on now and leave things that are uh, outside of directly finishing that project, leave that to other people who are already spending that time who've already spent that time to become experts, I don't have to do it, and it's a waste of my time. Like uh, another one was learning how to edit videos in, uh, you know, Movie Maker or whatever so I could upload them to YouTube. I mean, it looks cool, and it's really interesting. You see um, 
uh, like Zero Punctuation is one example, uh, or any of the uh, other movies that I frequently post to my blog, Cinema Sins, or uh, you know, Seven Things You Didn't Know About, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it takes time to develop those skills. It takes time to learn how to do those things. And depending on what you want to do with your life, it's it may be time you don't have. And certainly you don't have time to learn everything. You have to pick and choose what you're going to do. And uh, I just realized that consciously several years ago, and I simply have made the decision every time I think about, it, oh, that would be neat to learn to do. I have to think, no, you know what? I don't have time to do that. I have to get this stuff. I, I'm already working on a massive project. I need to spend time on the project, not on irrelevancies. Right. And he gets into that a little farther down, too, with the delegating. So good, good for you. I'm glad you came to that healthy conclusion. Now, the next one is one that I'm susceptible to, unrealistic time estimates. Okay, everybody. So when you're taking on a new assignment, Stop and ask yourself, how long will this project really take? And actually look at the data, look at past examples of when you've done something similar. How long did it take you? And for example, I fell prey to this. You know, I thought I could um, take on freelance editing projects and work on my book simultaneously and still have the next Soul Cycle book out like by October, and after looking at how long it took me to do Secret Kings, I decided ah, I'm probably going to need another month. So make sure to keep your time estimates realistic based on past performance. You should be all right after that. Um, and people in the chat, by the way, were asking for the links to those articles, Nick's article and Brian's article, both of those links are now in the description. So anybody who's listening to this show later, you can uh, check out those links yourself. Awesome. Thank you, Data Warpig. Who did not procrastinate on that? And that is the next point, procrastination. And you just keep putting things off. Is there something that is a high priority that you just haven't started yet? Because uh, I got time, I can do it later. This also plays into realistic time estimates. And uh, also, to expand on that, I've read some other articles on procrastination. And researchers have found that procrastination doesn't really come from where you'd assume. It's not about laziness or lack of inspiration. What it is is a form of learned helplessness or fear of failure, right? So the reason that you just don't feel like starting a project, that you, you want to put it off, is some form of anxiety about the process. So usually, with a writer, it's your inner editor suggesting to you that, well, you can't do this, you're not up to this task, you're not good enough, it's going to suck, people aren't going to like it. And one of the big mistakes people make with procrastinating is like, well, they just try to will their way through it with willpower. And that actually isn't the best approach that takes a lot of energy that you should be using and devoting to your project. So instead what you do with that in internal critic is you listen, right? You say, okay, you kind of start a dialogue with yourself. Well, you know, why do I think this might suck? You're like, Oh, there's a lot of dialogue in here. You're not that good at dialogue. Well, what you do is you, 
you kind of bargain with it. You negotiate like, okay, I'll tell you what. Yeah, that, that's correct. I've received some criticism about realistic dialogue. So let's just go ahead and get the first draft written and then we'll fix it in post. And usually you're in a critical like, well, okay. And you, you, put him, you put him to work for you in the editing phase. You tell him, look, let me handle the drafting phase of composition and then we'll get back to you and you can let me go over this with a fine tooth comb and, and fix it. Now, it doesn't just apply to writing, but really to any project that you, you have to do, you know, like a term paper or fixing the back porch, what have you, doing your taxes, just, um, you know, kind of appease or come to terms with your, your inner critic and just get started. Any comments? I do not have any. Ron, all that ever happened to you? I think I've heard about that research before on procrastination. That that's what really oh. uh, that really struck me, and it feels like it's true. And and the other thing related to that is uh, time estimates. Mm -hmm. And as a uh, programmer or a software engineer, we are notorious <laughs> for giving estimates. Uh, we, it is almost impossible to successfully estimate a software project. That's why um, many years ago, a lot of people in the industry moved to a different model for how they accomplish tasks. Hmm. And I don't know if this is going to help uh, any other creative endeavor, like a solo creative endeavor, like writing, hmm. but uh, it, it works reasonably well in a team setting where you've got multiple people working on a creative project um they call uh, they call it agile which is uh you know it's roundly been criticized for a lot of reasons but the basic idea is that when you've got the those three things uh, that you can do you can either ship it ship quality software or you can ship it fast or you can ship it cheap right mm-hmm and um, that applies to lots of other things. Uh, and when it comes to estimating software uh, in the old model, you would say, okay, we're going to ship this thing. Uh, you know, in your context, it'll be like, I'm going to do this book and I've got a deadline here. And if you don't meet the deadline, you have to push the deadline because whatever you wanted to ship isn't finished. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, an agile methodology in software does it slightly different where it says okay we're going to ship at this date but we're not committing to a specific set of features what we're going to do is we're going to iterate we're going to say we're going to finish one feature at a time and at the end of each cycle each iteration we should have a product that we can ship obviously that doesn't really work with books unless you're saying unless you're doing regular short stories, that sort of thing, where you could say, I'm going to aim to put out a new story or a new chapter each week. And then you could sort of scale your time from there. So okay. in, in, in terms of software, that's a way that you can fight the problem with estimates. So instead of saying, oh, we think it'll be done in six months and then it's done in 12, you can say, you can tell your, your people, that your stakeholders, you can say, 
this is what I can ship. This is what I think I can ship in six months. It's a, it's an, it's a different perspective on it. Intriguing. And actually, slight correction, that is possible with books now, with indie, because I've done it. Ooh, explain. New editions, my friend, because when Ethereal first shipped, it did not have a list of principal characters, for example. Uh, there was at least one other feature that uh, I can't remember right now that um, the, the original version didn't have, and it, and it had some it had some errors. So I did another edition and added those things. And that's, that's one of the things that's great about um, self-publishing is the greater agility and flexibility you have because um, you know people still come to me like with uh, typos they find in my books, and I've written down every one of them because it's rather easy for me just go ahead, go in, like, okay, all right, I'm going to fix that. All right, republish it. Bam, there you go, fixed. And even to add features, as, as you were talking about. Uh, that's great. I, and, and I hadn't even considered it from the perspective of an ebook, thinking of it just like software, because I, I, I keep buying your dead tree books, Brian. Well, I do with those too. You can't yeah. add, you can't. Uh really ship an entire novel with missing quote unquote missing features because your story has to be complete right. um but you can add uh you can add extra scenes if you think one might have been needed uh or you can add backup features things like that um right. and so yeah that's that's definitely uh possible well tolkien I, famously i mean even even back in the day changed the riddles in the dark chapter in the hobbit to be more in continuity with Lord of the Rings. Like the story of how he gets the ring, how Bibble gets the ring was actually changed in between editions. So That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Because um, originally it, it wasn't the ring of power. It was just a magic ring. And uh, so you had to retcon it. Is, uh, let's, uh, let's do the next few ones quick because we're running out of time. Sure. Okay. Next one, lack of specific priorities. Do you have specific goals you need to accomplish or are you just being nebulous? So keep that in mind. Failure to listen well. Now that one's interesting because like Jordan was talking about, you, you can think of writing as a, a solo effort, but really it's not. I mean, for example, I'm a self-published author, but even I have my international team of publishing experts, right? I've got my editor, Jaji, and then I've got Polgar Studio in Australia, who do my formatting. Then I've got uh, Marcelo, my cover artist in Argentina. So we all have to coordinate. And then also there's the readers, because like I just said, uh, they give me feedback and um, sometimes it's actionable. You know, sometimes it's stuff I'm like, yeah, hmm, you're right, that would improve things. So make, make sure to listen to your collaborators, listen to your customer base, listen to what they, they have to say. It doesn't mean to act on all of it, but, you know, again, once is fluke, two times is coincidence, three times is enemy action. Okay. Now, this is one I wanted to bring up, a Daddy War Pig largely covered, but it relates to point one, and this is DIY or failure to delegate. Got to learn how to delegate, and authors tend to be control freaks. Right, like, no, this is my project. I'm not going to let anyone touch this. And you know, Sometimes, if, like Daddy Warpig said, there's a skill 
that would take you too long to learn or you're, you're just not dispositionally cut out for it, how to farm that work out to someone else who is specialized in it and can get it done faster and better than, than you can. So, for example, I farm my formatting out because I'm not tech-savvy at all. And, yeah, I, I could learn just to you know, convert my, my own Word documents into a, a finished file that's suitable for, for upload to KDP. But, no, I need to write. Writing is the single most profitable activity I can do. So I outsource that to Polgar Studio. All right, then we have a very important one. Are you unable to tell people no? There's one word in the English language. It is the most powerful word. It is simple, direct, and never overstates itself, and that word is no. Learn how to say it, or you will likely find yourself taking on too much work at one time. And then my biggest one is perfectionism. Do you just focus on needless details? Are, are you missing the forest for the trees? Um. And I think the critical point of that is needless. Um, Absolutely. I, you sh you, anything that is important, you should focus on and get it right. But um, there are a lot of things, particularly with like world builders disease, as they call it. Mm -hmm. People just invest way too much time in, in world building and elaborate things that are the audience isn't going to know or if uh, you do put it in the book, the audience is going to be bored or not care because there's just too much detail, way too much detail. Um, you know, you're like, oh, man, that's so exciting. I have three coinage systems for my countries in my book. You're like, dude, the audience isn't going to care. I mean, if you feel you absolutely need to develop that for your book, then go for it. Fine. That's, that's all right. But, uh, man, if the audience doesn't need to hear about it, don't lecture them about it. Right, absolutely. I'm just going to do a couple more of these because some of them touch on things we already talked about. And so the next one I'm going to mention is failure to write it down. The human memory is infinitely fallible. If you get an idea, write it down. Uh, there, mm -hmm. There's no author who doesn't carry around like a little notebook or you know, a phone app to jot things down because you, you will forget. I, I uh, did a did some calculations the other day, and I have taken down uh, sometimes lengthy, sometimes short, uh, you know, around eighty notes in a seven day period. Um, wow! Of various things. So yeah, I have my phone with me at all times, and as soon as I get an idea, um, I pull it out, I open up the program, and I record it right then. Good, uh, and they, they have found that tasks that you physically write down are more likely to get done. So good for you. Okay. And then, finally, last one I'm gonna, the last one I'm going to talk about, there, there are more at the link, is not doing first things first. You know, do you prioritize? There's a, a famous story that is mentioned in Nick's post about Bethlehem Steel founder Charles Schwab, who hired an efficiency expert. And he basically told him, look, if you can 
give me a way to increase my productivity, then I will give you a blank check. You know, you, you can fill in whatever you think is fair if it works. And the guy gave him some very simple advice. He said, look, first thing in the morning, like when you come in, write down all the tasks that you need to get done today in order of importance. You know, start with the most important task and then work down the list. And then as soon as you get in, immediately start working on priority number one. And then when you finish that, then go over your priorities, reassess them, and then work on number two, and then number three, and just get as many of those as you can done effectively in one day. And then also pass this along to everyone under you so they're doing the same thing. And yeah, Charles Schwab uh, ended up trying it because like I said, try it for as long as you feel is necessary. And um, yeah, he sent him a, a check for $25,000. And keep in mind with the uh, rate of inflation, multiply that by about 30 to get any of what he thought it was worth. Oh yeah, that reminds me of, uh, they give us a similar training at, at Evil Globalist Corporation number four, mm -hmm. uh, where advice number one is is the the first thing you don't do when you get in the, your office is check email. Yeah. Do, just don't even open Outlook. Just, it's not a thing. Because yep. th those are going to be demands that are going to take away from whatever it is you actually meant to do that day. Mm. Yeah, important tip. I've, I've also heard check your email once a day. Like make that one of the items on your list and don't make it the first thing, but only check it once during the workday. All right. Well, uh, any last thoughts before we jump into the movie? Tell us about the movie, DW. So I went and saw the Hitman's Bodyguard, which is Ryan Reynolds' new vehicle. Um, and I, I went to look up the cast before the show so I could be sure when I came on the air that I had I was ready, that I didn't have to uh, didn't have to desperately search in IMDb while I was at the same time attempting to kick up a line of pattern. Now, don't get me wrong. I can do it. I've had years of specialized training in doing things furiously at the keyboard while I am talking to you, the audience. But even though the audience might not themselves know, when I go back to listen to the show, I can tell that I'm a little bit distracted because I'm a little bit slower than I normally am. So... I set out to do this right. I pulled up IMDb. I have got it right to the page of the Hitman's Bodyguard. And really what you want to do is just tell you guys who the most important people in the show are, who the big name stars are. You don't necessarily really care that uh, Valentin Strojanov is playing Petr Asimov Jr. You don't care that none of that means anything to you. But I found on the IMD page that the characters are not, the actors in the movie are not listed in order of the most important or biggest name actors first. They're listed in the order they appear in the movie, which completely wrecks any usability of this list. Fortunately for you, I was also dedicated enough. I was also committed enough I was uh, also devoted enough to my craft 
to go through and pick out the four names that you're going to want to pay attention to anyway. This movie stars, and you might have guessed this from me saying it's a Ryan Reynolds vehicle. So the fact that Ryan Reynolds is in the movie should not shock you at this point. Ryan Reynolds is in the movie. Samuel L. Jackson is in the movie. Soma Hayek is in the movie. And Elodie Young. Now, you may be confused as to that last one, who exactly Elodie Young is, but the fact is she's a major character in the movie, and she is also Electra, Electronachios, the uh, psychotic ninja chick on both The Defenders and Season 2 of Daredevil, and she's been in a, several other movies as well. Um, again, I looked that up before I got on the show. Uh, she was in Gods of Egypt. Uh, she was in G.I. Joe Retaliation, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. The, I'm assuming these are like bit parts. So she, uh, and, and the ironic thing is she actually played a ninja chick in G.I. Joe Retaliation. So apparently, I hope that's not, uh, I hope that's not a bit of typecasting. Ninja chick is now a type. I love it. <laughs> um, Watch this space. By the way, um, so the question you have at this point is, oh, that's fine and good, but was the movie any good, Daddy Warpick? Did you enjoy it? And I would have to say this. Enjoy, enjoyable moments during the movie. The humor actually made me laugh out laugh out loud at several, literally laugh out loud, not, you know, the, the internet LOL, which means I was faintly amused by the things that you said. Um, literally laugh out loud while I was watching the movie. The action scenes, although heavily um, afflicted with shaky cam, are not as bad shaky cam as you tend to see in other movies. And despite the shaky cam, they managed to make a coherence of shots. That is, this individual shot moving to the next individual shot makes sense and it leads you through the action of the scene. They're not just throwing random shots together, which tends to go with shaky cam. So even though it's shaky cam, which I hate, it's well it's done well enough in editing. I don't know if it was the director or the editor who saved it. It's done well enough in editing that it keeps a coherent story of the scene. You can tell what's going on in the scene. So the shaky cam was annoying, but not as annoying as it could have been. There are many action scenes in the movie, and all of them I found to be entertaining. So I really enjoyed all the action in the movie. I really enjoyed all the um, – I, I enjoyed most of the humor in the movie. The big downfall of the movie is that I think it is once you have left the theater – oh, I, I guess I should say this before I dive into – what I consider the deep problem of the movie. The movie is rough in several parts. Um, it needed a little bit more time to cook, a little bit more rewriting, or maybe that is the you know process of shooting where you have to skip over something important or cut out a line that just wasn't said correctly, whatever. So it, it was rough in parts, um, but it's still a good movie. It's still well above average. It's a quality movie. It's not a terrible movie. Uh, it does, however, thinking back on it, it left me with a bad taste in my mouth. And this is not for anything technical in the movie. It's not for any problems with the script or problems with the performances. This is entirely on the level of theme and morality and decency. The two characters in the movie 
who are the central part of the movie, are Ryan Reynolds, who plays a bodyguard. He's actually called a corporate executive something or other. Um, and the other character is Samuel L. Jackson's character, who is an assassin who tries to kill the people uh, that someone like Ryan Reynolds' character would be guarding. And in point of fact, has tried to kill Ryan Reynolds on 27 different occasions. So he's deliberately tried to, to murder Ryan Reynolds' character on 27 different occasions, and on at least one of them, only missed by the barest of chances and the scantiest of margins, uh, actually hitting his arm and tearing through it a little bit. So he is an assassin. He murders people, and he murders those who are guarding people. And yet the movie tries to make him a wise character with life advice he can give Ryan Reynolds' character, tries to make him a sort of a Robin Hood to where he only accepts contracts on evil men. He is only out there shooting bad guys and tries to make him seem uh, more heroic and more virtuous than Ryan Reynolds at a couple of different spots in the movie. Some of those spots are admittedly him being self-aggrandizing, but there's a, several spots in the movie where it tries to make him into a good guy. He's not a good guy. He's a murderer. He's a gleeful murderer. He likes his job. He loves his job. And the claim that he becomes heroic solely because he only accepts contracts on evil people, which is what the movie is trying to sell you, is countermanded by the earlier revelation that he's tried to kill Ryan Reynolds' character, who is not an evil person. He's a straight arrow. He's a good guy. His clients are not necessarily great people, but he himself is a good man. And yet this assassin we're supposed to think is heroic tried to kill him on 27 different occasions. So the movie doesn't know what heroism is, um, and it's trying to sell you ba uh, bad behavior uh, through manipulation of making him the likable, relatable character and making Ryan Reynolds' character somewhat unlikable. Now, the last thing I should say is also Gary Oldman is in it. He plays a very key role in the movie, and as always, he does an impeccable job because Gary Oldman is just awesome like that. So uh, I very much performance in the movie, and I really, really enjoyed his performance uh, a lot. So... Would I recommend you go see it? It's definitely, if you like action movies, it's worth going and seeing at least once. Uh, if the description I've given to you of the movie makes you say, I'm not sure I want to go see that, try to catch it on cable or Netflix or wherever it pops up, Redbox, whatever. Because if you like action movies, it's a good action movie. You probably ought to, you probably ought to see it. Um, if you like action movies, you, you can go see it, and you will probably have a good time. Oh, that sounds good. I, I, I like action movies myself. The one thing that I wanted to comment on was, 
it's a little strange that you would take a, a script and as much as moviegoers love Samuel L. Jackson, but flipping the flipping the types where Ryan Reynolds is not the lovable character is some sort of a weird decision to me. That's his whole shtick. Yeah. Speaking of typecasting. Um, do you have any, any thoughts, Brian, based on what I said? Yeah, it sounds like they're trying to fit that, uh, that assassin character into the Hollywood formula as the relationship character. Yeah, they're trying one. to make it almost a buddy cop movie. You know, where you have two mismatched people thrown together and they have to, you know, they argue and there's some humor and they have to learn to get along before they finally go out and get the bad guys. That's really what they're trying to do. Um, and specifically in terms of the Hollywood formula, identifying the relationship character is the character who has some piece of wisdom to share with the protagonist, but at least at first the protagonist isn't having it. And then they have a, a point where they reconcile and the protagonist either finally listens to the advice or definitively rejects it. Um, yes, that actually happens. That plays out up until through the end of the movie. Um, yeah, I figured. <laughs> I've avoided all the spoilers because there really isn't anything to talk about. Um, some Hayek's character isn't in it a ton, uh, but she turns in a kind of, she turns in a, she turns in a fun performance. I just enjoyed watching her character when she was on the screen. And it's it's not just because Salma Hayek is still hot, although she is still hot. It's because she, she took a role that isn't a typical role that you would expect Salma Hayek to take and just threw herself into it and committed to it fully and really delivered something fun. It was just fun to watch her on the screen. Um, so... I mean, there were good before, and Samuel L. Jackson plays the same character that Samuel L. Jackson always plays. So I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not criticizing his performance. He, he also turns in a great performance because Samuel L. Jackson is nothing if not consistent. Um, you know, I, I'm, I know he has done performances that I haven't liked uh, before, but most of the time, especially recently, uh, he's just, you know, he has a specific skill set as an actor and as long as he's in that skill set then he knocks it out of the park this movie was in his skill set the hateful eight was in his skill set um the attack of the clones was not in his skill set that was so far outside his skill set it was almost the exact opposite of his skill set so i don't think he i think he did as good a job he could with the material but it did not naturally play to his strengths so if you've seen samuel L. jackson in movies before you know what he's gonna say and they even make jokes by the way if you've seen the internet video there's an internet video of like 150 times samuel L. jackson says a specific curse word that's kind of his tag curse word. It's kind of, you know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger's I'll be back. Samuel L. Jackson is a specific curse word. They work in all the time. The funny thing about it in this movie is they 
comment on it that his character is pointed out as saying that he says this curse word a lot, and he does say this curse word a lot throughout the entire movie, and they make a joke of it. Ryan Reynolds turns to somebody else while he's having this discussion about all the grief Samuel L. Jackson's character has put him through, and he says uh, he has ruined this particular word. Do you know how hard you have to work to ruin this particular swear word? Um, I'm not using this word because we're, you know, family-friendly show. We're PG-rated generally. We don't swear on the air. So uh, it's not as good a delivery as Ryan Reynolds does, but it's amusing. It's funny. They, they deliberately embrace Samuel L. Jackson's image and personality and what he's known for and use that to good effect. Yeah, it seems like there are certain actors who get get acclaimed in various roles, and then at a, at a certain point, they just decide, ah, I'm just going to play myself, or you know, the, the public's exaggerated version of me. So I'm thinking of Christopher Walken and Al Pacino come to mind, along with Sam Jackson. Um, he, he does deliver a really great line. This is the only line I wrote down because I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, at one point, he's with a group of uh, policemen, and somebody shoots at him. You hear this shot, and one of the guys, like, dodges. And Samuel L. Jackson looks at him and gives him this advice. If you can hear the shot, it wasn't meant for you. <laughs> Which um, kind of wraps up his character's... Uh, his skill set, his personality, and who he is pretty neatly. So, All right. I enjoyed the movie. It left a bad taste in my mouth. I am not going to go see it again, but I definitely would recommend that uh, if you like action movies and this sounds at all interesting, go see it. You'll probably have a good time. It wasn't a bad movie. It wasn't a perfect movie, but it wasn't a bad movie. And Ryan Reynolds, of course, does a great job. He delivers his humorous lines, and they're funny. I laughed. Um, I like the... Uh, I like the humor. I like the action. So, I mean, I, I don't know what else I could have, what more I could have expected. Um, when I told uh, Dornall before the show, yeah, I went and saw this movie. His comment was, what was your comment, Dornall? It looks terrible. It looks terrible was his comment. So I can tell you that if you saw the trailers and stuff, it is not actually terrible. It was much, much better than I thought it was going to be. And the problems I have with it are not on a technical level, uh, not on the level of delivering what the movie promises, but on the level of theme and morality, which is a you can tell how bad a movie is by um, what level its flaws operate on. Like it, There's big flaws on a superficial level, just fundamental errors in continuity, fundamental errors in um, characterization, fundamental errors in just composing a shot right so it looks bad. It looks cheap. It looks nasty. That's a movie that's obviously bad. And the deeper and deeper you have to go to find the real problems with the movie, the better the movie is. So I had to go pretty deep, uh, other than the few rough spots, which were there, uh, I had to go pretty deep to... Uh, to identify what I found really wrong with the movie. So that's a recommendation. It may not sound like a recommendation, but it's a recommendation. Uh, if you like action movies, you like comedy action movies, go see it. It was, it was good. It was much better than I thought it would be. All right, do you have any, uh, any final thoughts before we go? Well, thanks for the great chat. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. It's been a good week. Yeah, definitely. Thanks to everyone for listening. I also have just a couple of announcements. One, 
my award-winning Soul Cycle series is currently still on sale. You can get all three books for less than nine dollars, including the Dragon Award nominated Secret Kings, which is also free if you have access to Kindle Unlimited. And then also, speaking of which, uh, time is running out to register to vote in the Dragon Awards. It's free. They send out ballots twice a week. And uh, if I can bribe Daddy Warpig into doing it, I'm putting the link into our chat here to be inserted in the show notes. So yeah, if that makes its way into the show notes, go ahead and click that. You can request a free ballot and vote for your favorite books and movies and shows and games. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in to Geek Gab. Um, we have... Uh, the show is, uh, you can catch us on youtube.com slash geekgab, or you can catch us on SoundCloud, the iTunes Store, and the Google Play Store, at least for now. You can go ahead and do a search for Geek Gab in any of those places. You can uh, subscribe to the show in podcast form to download it to your Android device, to download it to your Apple device, or just to download it to your computer. Um, and we're here about once a week. We have two other shows, uh, by the way, in the Geek Gab Podcasting Network. We have... Uh, John's irregularly produced RPG-centric show, Geek Gab Game Night, for pen and paper RPGs like Dungeons & Dragons and things like that. We've had some great guests on it, and uh, we've had, we have several uh, episodes in the can, and we'll hopefully have another episode sometime in the near future. Um, we've had discussions with a specific, well-known, controversial figure in the RPG industry, and uh, he will not be back in a place where he can do a podcast for another week or so, but uh, when he does come back, we hope to have him on the show. Uh, and I'm not going to talk about who it is yet because that's not confirmed. I don't want to throw the name out there and, and have him pull out. Uh, when that is confirmed, we will let you know. Also, the other show that's on part of the Geek Gab Network is Brian's show about writing called On The Books. And uh, On The Books is generally weekly uh, on Wednesdays, Wednesday afternoons, and Brian has great great uh, guests on there and he also talks about great advice for writers for wannabe writers for you know up-and-coming writers and so you can give the you can give that show uh, a listen it's a, I've listened to every episode it's a great show by the way all of our shows are available in playlists right here on YouTube so if you just want to watch one episode after another or just want to listen to one episode after another they're all available on playlists you can just play the whole thing we uh, if you want to have announcements and notifications about when we're going live, click the subscribe button and be sure to click the little bell icon to double secret subscribe so you actually get a, uh, a notification about when the show is going live when we schedule this stuff like that. So you can come join us, jump in the chat. Again, as always, we've had a great uh, and fairly vigorous chat today with some uh, good questions and some good discussion that goes away once we're done with the show. You don't ever see it. It's gone. So unless you come and listen live, all of the great stuff they talk about in the chat, you will never know about them. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We are leaving you for today, but don't worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.